You're listening to the Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University. I'm ASPS University Chair, Dr. Nicholas Panetta, and I invite you to check out all of our educational offerings, from professional surgical videos, courses on practice management, and much, much more at ASPS EdNet. Hello, listener. Welcome to the ASPS University podcast, Enhance Your Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Rash Patel. The title of this episode is How I Finance My Private Practice Without a Loan, and we're lucky to be joined today by Dr. John Apostolides. Dr. Apostolides has been in private practice for the last 10 years in San Diego, California. Thanks for joining us today, John. Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Patel. It's great to be here. John, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you decided to open your own private practice in Southern California, because before that, I know you'd spent some time in Baltimore completing your training at Johns Hopkins. Absolutely, yes. So I am a Baltimore native, born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, and I did my training there for uh, several years. And I actually met my wife while I was in Baltimore in my last few years of training, and she was a native of San Diego. So as you know, you typically follow your wife to the places she wants to take you. And so we decided to try and find a way to make it to San Diego, California. And the way I did that initially was in training, I reached out to as many people as I could in San Diego and said I would take whatever I could get just to make it there. And so I initially joined a senior plastic surgeon when I first came out to San Diego. And he was looking for a junior partner. And so I I joined him and started that aspect of my practice. And I quickly found that within a year and a half, I was getting to the point where my practice was not necessarily a good mesh with his. He was a purely aesthetic practice, and I was trying to really base and create a mix of reconstructive and aesthetic surgery in my practice. And so I knew after about a year and a half of being here in San Diego and being a part of this more senior practice that I wanted to start my own thing. And so that's where I really entered this world of how do you go about and start your own practice. And there were some benefits of having joined someone else. I got to see how he did his thing and how he structured his practice. And I learned the things I thought were good ideas. And I also learned what I thought were were bad ideas and bad approaches to the private practice setting. And so I started to game plan in that second year of being in his practice as to how I was going to go about and create my own thing, Uh, do it to my liking, something that worked for the type of practice I wanted. And that's where a lot of what we'll talk about today really comes into play is some of it was trial by fire. Some of it was trial and error, but I really came up with a strategy in that second year to be able to go off, start my own practice. I wanted to try and do it without having to take out loans. I was starting a young family. And so there's a lot going on in my life. And so I wanted to take a very strategic approach to that. So when we're talking to residents who are thinking about going out into private practice, it's not unusual for them to get advice that says, if you're going to start your own practice, it's going to require seven figures worth of financing and that you're going to have to borrow a lot of money and incur significant debt, which is daunting when you think about undergraduate and medical student debt people might be in. Can you tell us a little bit more about the positive experiences, how you figured out how to finance your practice, and did you suffer any challenges that made it more difficult? Absolutely. So I felt much the same way. At first, I was intimidated by the concept of taking out these huge loans, trying to create something from scratch, and I felt like it was maybe an insurmountable endeavor until I quickly realized that you can create a practice that you allow to grow as your momentum and clinical practice grows. And you don't need to 
necessarily start off with this huge thing. So the strategy I took on was I said, I had a date that I knew I was going to go off and be on my own. And that was my day zero, the starting day of my practice. And so six months before that, I told myself I needed to start saving enough money to get me through six months of the beginning of my practice, both for my living expenses for my family and I, and for the practice itself. And so my game plan was to start saving money that was going to be able to sustain me and my family for six months. And then I started really game planning the things I absolutely needed. For example, I needed to find a location. I needed an office. And my approach to that was, if I'm going to do it and do it my way, then I'm not necessarily going to open an office in the same part of town where everyone else has it. And everyone told me you had to be in this part of San Diego to succeed. I'm going to open an office near where I live. It's going to be convenient for my family and I, and I'm going to do it my way. So I looked for a location. And then when I found the location, I negotiated with the, the landlord that I wanted to try and make my rent maybe back heavy in the last few years of the five-year lease so that I could get that momentum going. And in terms of construction, I negotiated with them that I wanted to maybe build my costs for the construction into my rent so I could have it kind of on a monthly basis and not have to come up with this huge sum all at once. And so that, that became my strategy was to avoid having to have a huge upfront cost and trade it for monthly extensions that might take me a while or might be a, a little bit greater in the long run but would give me the ability to start my practice and get that momentum so that I would never find myself in a large hole. So it started with that office and that rent strategy. And then I went out looking for an EMR system and I knew that the system I used at that senior practice was extremely expensive, was a huge upfront cost. And so I started looking for an EMR that was going to be cloud-based month to month. I didn't want to have to buy all that software, I wanted it to be hosted and I could afford monthly payments and not have to worry about upgrades in the future. And so computers and EMR, I also found a way to make that just a monthly payment that would start from the time my practice started. And that became my strategy. Everything was going to be divided up. Everything was going to be monthly payments that I could handle so that I could get that momentum going. I knew I wasn't going to start off with any machines or any lasers. I wasn't going to worry about my own operating room. Those are all things that are luxuries, but are not necessarily necessities when you're starting that practice. And you can do that more manageable, small boutique practice and be very successful with it and never find yourself in a huge amount of debt. And I approached the same way with staffing my office. And so now I needed to find you know, good staff to help but I couldn't hire tons and tons of people. I needed to be really efficient. And so I hired two staff, my wife and I, and two staff members, we really handled every possible task that was involved in running a practice from scheduling to insurance authorizations, HR, we did everything. We wore every hat. And so one of my employees who handled insurance would also chaperone me when I was seeing a patient and my front desk, employee would handle my aesthetic scheduling and my consults. And so we all did a little bit of everything, but it was really that team approach to try and make a practice grow and succeed. And so it might not have been as high end or as luxurious as what you would consider in, in maybe LA, but 
but it worked and it I allowed that practice to grow as my clinical volume grew. And so from with that approach, within two months, I was profitable. Within two months, I was no longer uh, worried about cost because I was not biting off more than I could chew. That's great. And it sounds like you had a very thoughtful methodological approach to opening the practice. We don't really teach plastic surgeons or residents who are thinking about opening their own practice to have any particular kind of approach. Was there some way you learned how to do that from? Or was that from talking to different mentors or perhaps a business education that you had? That's a great question. And I, you know, I had that same experience. I never, no one ever taught me anything in residency about what it was to be a doctor in practice. All I knew was being in the operating room, doing microsurgery, running around the hospital as a resident and just putting in the hours. And so it was a little bit of a rough awakening for me, but there was one moment where one of my attendings who was actually a private practice attending, he sat the chief residents down one day and told us his approach to his practice. And he said, you know, his philosophy was he has a small boutique practice. He doesn't have a lot of employees. He doesn't have a med spa, all those things that were really big when I was coming out of training, but his practice and his overhead were very efficient. And he was a really big facelift guy in Baltimore. And so he said, if I do one or two facelifts in a week, that's all I need to do. And I'm profitable. And I'm not worried about trying to meet that overhead, which is running away from me. And that always stuck. And then when I joined the senior guy in, in San Diego, he had the opposite approach. I mean, he had a mega practice. It was 30 or 40 employees. It was a med spa. It was every possible machine that existed. And while it looked amazing from the outside, and before I actually got to dive into that practice, I was just in awe at this amazing plastic surgery practice, which had and did everything, until I realized that the overhead was just this intimidating, crazy thing, and you were constantly in that rat wheel chasing it and chasing it. And so I didn't have any formal training, I didn't have any business classes, but I had maybe a little bit of real life experience hearing from someone one approach seeing another approach and I quickly realized that I wasn't going to get into that chase where I can't keep up with what I'm acquiring, what I'm trying to achieve. And I quickly realized that what I know best and what I do best is surgery. I'm a surgeon. I'm a plastic surgeon. I know what to do in the OR. And so I wanted my practice as much as possible to be just a surgical practice where I do what I do best and I don't try and absorb all these other things, you know, this business world that I'm not trained to do. And so I continue even to this day, 10 years in, I try and keep it simple. That's my motto. I try and keep it simple, try and focus on surgery, on patient care. And I try not to get wowed and glamorized by all these amazing new lasers and machines and things that you can acquire, but then they make your practice now require even more momentum just to keep up. Plastic Surgery Connect is how ASPS connects plastic surgery consumers with high-quality procedure information and qualified ASPS member surgeons. More than 10 million people visit PlasticSurgery.org every year, and that number is growing. ASPS member surgeons can use a Plastic Surgery Connect premium profile to be featured on PlasticSurgery.org with more than just the name and phone number. Greet patients with a welcome video. Show off your before and after photos. Advertise practice specials and add SEO-friendly links back to your own website. Providing visitors with a more complete picture of your practice works. 
premium profiles receive on average five times the consultation requests over a standard listing. Learn more and sign up at plasticsurgery.org forward slash connect. So you've obviously experienced great success with your approach to running a practice, but thinking back over the last several years, is there anything that you would have done differently? It's hard to say for sure, but you know, I have colleagues, I have friends who are out in that world and they've taken on that different approach. And you see people succeed with different models and different approaches. And so I think my approach is a very risk averse approach and I've been very conservative with that. And so there are parts of me that say sometimes I wish maybe I would have been a little more willing to take a risk here or to try something there that might have been out of my comfort zone in terms of trying to grow that practice. But then again, you know, my life is really nice and straightforward and simple and my practice surgically has done well. And I think that's because I've been able to devote 100% of my focus on a surgical practice and not trying to then manage also lasers and, you know, employees and estheticians and med spas and things of that sort. So I think it depends on the person. It really depends on the person. Some people are inclined for that business aspect as well, and they can really take a practice and grow it to something that's really amazing and huge. And so for me, I think my approach is universally a great way to get a practice started. And then from there, you have to decide the direction that you want to take it. And so in my mind, yes, maybe I should have taken some more risks. But then again, I've never had that stress and fear or concern of the finances, being able to support those financial responsibilities. So other than trying to control your risks and financial liabilities, if I were a resident or young surgeon thinking about opening my own practice without taking out loans, is there any other advice that you might have for me? That's a great question. I think the advice that I commonly give to people who are finishing up their training, they're getting ready to enter the real world, quote unquote, of plastic surgery. I think more than the financial advice, I think what they need to really decide for themselves and their families is what is my what is that one goal I have in this plastic surgery career? Is it do I really want to be a successful academic surgeon or, or eventually become a chair of a department? Or do I really want to be in a private practice world and go into that aesthetic space and focus on aesthetics? Or do I really want to be located in New York City or in Minnesota or wherever it may be? And so I think if you have in that list of priorities, you find that one that is your absolute must, then you can make that happen and you can find a model that supports that, that top priority. And then you start to add on the other priorities as they become possible, whether it's you become busier or you can start to get rid of certain aspects of your practice and focus on others or, you know, other opportunities come up. You know, for example, if you really want to be an academic plastic surgeon, but the only available job is in Minnesota and your goal has been to be in Florida, well, you might have to start in Minnesota and then allow your momentum to take you somewhere else. And so, For me, it's about springboarding, whether it's financially springboarding your practice from a small boutique practice to something bigger, 
or springboarding the type of practice you have from some, you know, taking call and doing reconstructive to eventually becoming, you know, the king of aesthetics in your area. So my ultimate advice is you find the thing that you must have, you go and you seize that, and then you start to accumulate the other priorities that you have on your list as they become possible based on your hard work and, and patience. I think that's great advice and ties into how we try and advise young surgeons not to take on too much all at once, to try and focus on small successes and build on that. You mentioned that you work with your wife in the practice and the question that comes to mind is how do you manage to balance your work life and your outside of work life when you work with your spouse? That's a great question and that's an important question. You know, I think a common thing you'll find in private practice is to have some type of family member as a part of what you do. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think obviously you, you want to always have someone you trust as a part of what you're doing. For me, my wife, uh, by training as a lawyer, we came out here. By the time I started my practice, we had had our first child. So part of that was out of necessity. If she could choose her life path, I don't think it would be to be helping me in my practice. But it started with necessity. And then we've quickly allowed it to develop into something that works for her as well. And so she's not necessarily in the office with me. She does a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. She deals with a lot of the HR and legal aspects of the practice. And we kind of try and teamwork it, but in a way where most importantly, I didn't want this practice to then become an aspect of stress or challenge for her. It was kind of I tried to keep it on her terms and had it always blend in in a way that it was synchronous with our life and our family and not something that would hinder her. So I tried to bear all the tough, stressful, unpleasant stuff and just rely on her for the additional things that I can't do. Let's say if I'm in the operating room or, you know, if she's more knowledgeable in terms of HR and legal things, I kind of will defer to her for those aspects. But it's finding that balance. I mean, I never wanted my practice to be more for her on her plate, but she also understands that if I can trust anyone, it's going to be her. And, and so we try and find a, a style that really works for our life. So she does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. She's doing, you know, nowadays with technology, you can be remote and do anything. So she can be at one of our daughter's karate classes and be handling emails and things of that sort. So we try and really blend it into our life so it's not too much of a stress, but it also doesn't interfere with everything else that we're doing. John, how did you handle the growth of your practice? So in my practice, I tried to start off small so that I could handle that and not bite off more than I can chew. But what I quickly found was as my practice grew, then I could grow in terms of maybe more risk I was taking. Or for example, at that five-year mark when my first lease went up with my practice, I realized that clinically I'd grown, I could handle a little more, and I had an opportunity to take on the adjacent office to us and expand our office. And so I now have the space that I initially planned on having when I first started practice, but I, there was no way I could have handled that, that amount of space, that amount of rent and overhead. And so as things grew, then I can slowly grow with it. And so I was able to double the size of my office, increase some of my staff, and now just have a bigger, more ideal practice to meet the demand I needed in terms of my clinical volume. Are there any other avenues someone might look for to get information on this topic? 
That is also a great question. And what I quickly learned when I started really researching on starting my own practice was that the society, the American Society of Plastic Surgery was a great resource for me in terms of finding the bases of knowledge, whether it was at the meetings or online to those resources that would really help you in terms of practice management, uh, partnerships that this society has with various companies. For example, my EMR, I was able to get my EMR system through the ASPS. They had a special discounted rate for ASPS members and I was able to do research and really uh, th those were huge benefits for me, whether it was the online resources, the resources at meetings to be able to, to hear from other people, get some business, business advice, or even just benefit from the networking and the partnerships that the ASPS has around the country. Those were aspects that really helped me start my practice. And I took advantage of those net networking uh, opportunities and, and those resources of information. So that was all a huge benefit for me as a young surgeon trying to figure things out. I felt like, you know, maybe I wasn't alone. I had those resources available to me to really get things started and take advantage of things that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. John, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here talking to you about my experiences and kind of share my story. Thank you again. Join us on the next episode of Enhancer Practice, where we'll be focusing on real estate with Nathan McElroy of Marcus & Millichap. He'll share his tips on choosing the right investment property. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Enhancer Practice podcast series. Brought to you by ASPS University and our host, Dr. Ash Patel. You can listen to our other episodes on any of the podcast platforms where they are currently available, or you can download recordings directly from ASPS Ednet. New seasons and episodes are coming soon on practice management. Please contact ASPS Education with your feedback and suggestions for future podcast topics. Thank you for tuning in.